So 50 years ago, this spring, my mom and dad decided that they were going to move our family from central Arkansas to the Dallas-Fort Worth area for dad to take a new job. And we came right down I-30 through New Boston. A few years later, we were out. Dad was traveling the territory in North Texas, East Texas. And uh, he said, you want to go with me for a couple days this summer? And I said, to get away from mom and my sisters? Absolutely. He said, we'll stay at a hotel with a, a motel with a pool. And I said, great. And one of the places we stayed that summer was New Boston, Texas, believe it or not, because my dad called on a couple of stores here in town. A few years later, my dad says, you want to go to work for me? And I said, not really. He goes, well, you're going to work somewhere. You might as well work for me, and I'll pay you, and you go to college and get your education. And he says, I want to put you in East Texas. I said, why? He goes, because if you can work with those folks, you can deal with anybody. And one of the places I came on a regular basis was New Boston, believe it or not. Kind of an odd thing. Called on a couple stores here, and Bill doesn't remember, but I called on his first wife before she passed away and uh, enjoyed those times. And uh, then came back and helped my cousin write a prayer for her graduation from Maud High School a couple years later than that. So I've had connections to this area almost all my life, which is kind of strange. And when I received a phone call one summer from a church looking for a pastor, and they told me where they were in New Boston, I said, he goes, you probably don't know. I said, I know exactly where that is. And he said, well, we want to talk to you. And I said, well, let's talk. And so we did. And so... No one would have ever guessed that a seventh grader and a fourth grader and a two-year-old, along with their mom and daddy, would come here 10 years ago and still be here. But here we are, and we're grateful for this church and all that y'all have taught us uh, over these years. It has been a ride. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. I appreciate uh, Aaron filling in for me last weekend. Thank you. I was able to spend some time with my dad. as he is uh, aging, I got to go to see their new auditorium at their church that they had to remodel after the ice storm and spend some time with my sisters and my nephews and, and some family. So that was good, and we appreciate that. Well, this morning, what we uh, begin is uh, something I've envisioned to be a multi-week series based on the issue or the thought of Christian fellowship. Now, it's not a topical series in the sense that we're not going to just talk about what I think, because honestly, what I think is not very important compared to what God's Word teaches. And so I want us to go to God's Word each week and then let His Word speak into our lives some things about maybe how we can apply some of this idea of fellowship with us. Because I believe God's call in His Scripture is fellowship is of vital importance for those of us who follow Christ. Because really what He does in the relationship of calling us to follow Him is actually calling us into fellowship with Him and into a relationship with him. And it seems like in our day, and boy, this is a great year to talk about this with 2024 and the political situations, everything we're going on, but we're so divided in so many ways, aren't we? We figure out ways to separate ourselves from each other. We divide along political lines. We'll divide along social lines. We'll divide along religious lines. We'll divide along color lines. We'll divide on economic lines, just to name a few. And we often carry a mindset that says this, if you're not like me and you don't agree with everything I think, then we can't walk together. And that's just not right. And it's not true. But that approach, when we follow it, will create small islands on which we live. And we look out and there's people over there, but not us. And if you're not careful, the lines of the island get smaller and smaller and smaller, and you find yourself living on an isolated island somewhere in the middle of nowhere 
and you're the only one that agrees with you. That's not the call that God has for us, I don't believe. And so that was not his intent. So as we begin the series, I want to look at the call of a guy named Levi. Now, this account is recounted at least twice in the Gospels, maybe three times as I'm thinking about it this morning. But I want us to look at the account of Luke where he shares with us the call of a guy named Levi. Now, if you go to the book of Matthew, you find out his name is Matthew. So he had two names, and you're going, how can they be the same person? Well, I have two names, and they're not the same. They don't call me Patrick Patrick. That'd be a mouthful, wouldn't it? That's what you'd, you'd start spitting on people. You say that too often. But, but I want you to follow the story. Just not a very, just six verses, and then we'll break it down. Look at, look at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth or the tax, the toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father God, I pray that as we spend just a few moments this morning looking at Levi's story, that, Father, you would show us the power of fellowship, the importance of fellowship, the place of fellowship in our lives. That, Father, we would learn uh, from you and your word the importance of walking together with others. And, Father, even those that we don't always agree with on everything. Father, help us to come together on the essentials, but, Father, have grace on the non-essentials with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, three things I want you to see from the passage. The first one is this. Jesus calls graciously. I don't know about you, but I find encouragement in that thought. That he calls me graciously. He didn't come into my life and demand. He didn't call into my life and, and, and run over me. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to be a part of me. Look at the text again. After this, Jesus went out and saw a guy named Levi. Now, what do we know about Levi? He was probably of the tribe of, this is deep, y'all ready? Levi, boy, the choir got it real quick. I always know they're sharp, so I always know they're back there backing me up. Levi. He was Levitical. He was supposed to be part of the priesthood. Hang on a second. Y'all with me? The guy who's supposed to be serving at the temple is doing what? He's working for the Romans, taking taxes to fund the Roman government. Now, how in the world did that guy get there? We don't know, but we know he's there. Think, Jesus is in this region, and he's already called some of the other disciples. Think, fishermen leaving their their boats and their nets and following Jesus. That happened just before this. Now, he comes up to this guy named Levi. He's at one of the border crossings. Uh, uh, Scholars and archaeologists think he was probably in the region north of the Sea of Galilee on the way to Mount Hermon because that was a transition area between uh, what is today Syria and what is today Israel, which back in those days would have been Judea and and Samaria. And they were two different administrative regions within the Roman government. And so when you got to a border in those days, you had to pay a tax, a toll to cross the border. And the guys who held those positions, they were wealthy because they were mostly crooks. Okay. They would look at your goods and they would say, well, you owe me so many drachma or so many shekels or so many dollars in our day. But they knew in their minds that they only had to send this much, little amount to Rome, and they would add on for themselves. So people, when they walked up to these places, they'd go, man, I'm about to get fleeced. Kind of like walking into a car dealership. Y'all know the feeling? 
you walk in and think, I'm going to pay way more than I want to for something I really, really would like to have, but I don't want to do it. But here I am anyway. That's the situation he's in. And here was a guy named Levi, Matthew, working his business. Now get the picture. He should have been working at the priest, at the, at the temple. He should have been working in the Levitical priesthood. He should have been doing something else. But here he is working the tax booth, far from where he's supposed to be. And by the way, tax collectors in their day, no more favorable than our perception of them today. How many of you have gotten that letter from the government, official business, and the return is internal revenue service? And every one of us goes, oh, this is going to be such good news. Yeah, right. Our hearts sink. Our stomachs kind of just churn. Don't they go, oh, what did I do wrong on my tax return last time? What did I do wrong here? What have they found? What do they think they found? What are they? And so we read those. That's the same thing. And so from a religious standpoint, he was not, to the good Jews, a good Jew. He was a bad guy. He was not a moral guy. He was not a, a guy you wanted to hang out with. And, and so, but at this moment, Jesus shows up and he does what is completely unexpected. He does what? He says, hey, Levi, Matthew, follow me. That's the phrase Jesus used again and again and again to say, not just agree with me, but to take your life and commit it to who I am, what I teach, the directions I'm going, and who I am, and let's go together. It is not a one and done moment. It is not a, oh, follow me. Okay, okay, I'm following, done. It's more than that. It's this idea of following with him. But the question comes, how would Levi respond? Would he, would he leave his lucrative business? Would he walk away from that and go be a part of what Jesus has or not? What's amazing is he doesn't just say yes. Did you notice in verse 28, he did what? He left, if you don't write, write in your Bible, you might understand this, underline this word, because it's a big, important word here. He left what? Everything. Everything. Now, does that mean he gave it all away and had no money left and he left penniless the rest of his days? Probably not. But the mindset is this, he changed who he was, Christ's encounter changed who he was. He says, okay, this is not mine anymore. It's yours. Everything I have is yours. And he got up and he followed Jesus. And by the way, that's not just a following down the street. This is the idea in the, in the Greek of following, ongoing, changing your mind, going in a new direction, doing a different thing. You're no longer the same kind of follow. It's a transformative thing. And he responds to the gracious call of Jesus to go in a new direction. But then our Pharisees, Pharisees, Pharisees show up. Our Pharisees show up. Look at verse 29. Levi made a, a great feast first, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Here's what happens. The Pharisees complain vociferously. I like that word. When I work in my yard, I work in the yard vociferously. I give my whole heart to it. I get, I mean, I get done, I am just a whipped puppy. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just sopping wet in the summer, but the yard looks good. When I do something, I want to, I want to do it right, okay? And these guys are going to complain that way. They're going to complain completely, totally, and with all their heart. Here we are. Let's do it. Now, in response to the call, we see Levi and Matthew plan a celebration. This is more than a simple party. The party. Let's call it. Let's call it uh, for the sake of 
to some more. Let's call it a fellowship. You want to do that? Let's call it a fellowship. And why did he do that? But it's a fellowship with purpose. He wanted his friends, his circle of acquaintances to meet the guy who has changed his life. He says, I want you to come over and we're going to get together and we're, I want you to meet this guy, Jesus. And remember, his closest friends were not the religious folks, though he should have been. Instead, his close friends were what? Tax collectors. Oh, sinners. The down and out. The dirty. The poor. The worthless. The rich. I'm sure he had some rich friends he hung out with. And by the way, these were the dregs of humanity that no self-respecting religious person would ever hang out with. Why would you go around with these people? These are the disgusting folks. Why would you be out with them? But Levi Matthew wanted his friends to hear the good news. He wanted them to understand something great was happening. And into this moment, what happens is what happens so often. The religious folks step up and say, Huh, what are you doing? Somebody complains. Here were the group of ultra-religious folks who saw the divide between themselves and those people. And by the way, they never saw themselves as the low. They saw themselves as the what? The high. We're important. We're special. We're somebody. We're pure. They're dirty. They, they, we know the law. They don't get it. We, we, we know we're preferred by God. And he doesn't even care about them. Why are you out there with him? And they express their disapproval by grumbling, by speaking among themselves, by gossiping, by murmuring, by whispering. By generally stirring the pot. I call that complaining vociferously because that's what they're doing. They believed they were totally right and Jesus was so far from wrong, he wasn't on the same page with them. Let that sink in, the mindset they're carrying. Now, by the way, not every Pharisee was this bad, but some of them were and they were there that day. But notice, did you see who they directed their complaint to? Not Jesus. Look at it again. Tell me that verse back up there. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled. Murmured is the literal translation. In fact, the Greek word that's translated murmur sounds like I know people who make that sound. They grumbled. But they grumbled at who? His disciples. They were ticked with Jesus, but they didn't talk to Jesus. They went and talked to the ones who were following Jesus to get him to try to create a wedge and to create a problem, to create a mess and to create a strife and a struggle. They're trying to stir up the pot, as you will, is what we might call it today. They talked to the ones that they lived next door to, that they worked with, that they worshipped with that lived down the street, that walked the streets of their villages. They talked to the ones they knew. Jesus was from up in the highlands of the Nazareth. They, they didn't know these people. He didn't, they didn't know him. But, but they complained vociferously about what this rabbi they've chosen to follow is doing. Why, why can't you see the foolishness of what you're doing? Why can't you see how, how crazy? He's, he's hanging out with the, the tax collectors and sinners. I know you used to be one, but you say you're, you're out of that. But why are you hanging out with those kind of people? Those are not the good folks that like us who have got it all figured out. But then Jesus answers. The story gets really interesting here. Remember, the complaints of the Pharisees were not directed to Jesus, but who? To his disciples. 
But then Jesus steps into the fray. Now, how did Jesus know this? You can say, well, he was divine God and he knew what was going on. Okay, I can go with that. The scripture didn't tell us that, but I could go with that. We could also say one of the disciples came over and said, you won't believe what the other Pharisees are saying this time. I, I could go with that one. Regardless of how Jesus got the news, he got the news. And notice what he does. He responds immediately. Look at verse 31. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, Jesus, that's direct. He didn't beat around the bush, did he? Now understand, Jesus wasn't saying the Pharisees were well, they didn't need a physician. What he was saying is those who really are well don't need a physician. But the reality is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are struggling with issues. All of us have got problems. All of us got something that we struggle with, that sin that so easily besets us. Each one of us has something that we really, really struggle with. For many, it's a private something nobody knows, but you do. For others, it's very public, and we see it. But Jesus makes plain he was there to minister to those who were sick spiritually. By the way, uh, that included the Pharisees. He loved them too. Did you know that? And he makes plain he's there to minister to the sick. And, and for in this moment, Jesus wants them to understand that, that for those who who've accepted and, and, and that are, they, those who understood and accepted the reality they're sick, he's there for them. Levi Matthew goes, that's me. I know where I was. I was a mess. I should have been doing something else, but I was out there taxing people, fleecing people, stealing from people. He was a thief, a swindler. He was covered in the sins mentioned in the law. And Jesus makes plain that he's not come to call the righteous because there's none but to call sinners. And Jesus doesn't confront them to condemn them. He confronts them, why? To call them to fellowship. He's calling them to fellowship with themselves and with others who would follow him. And Jesus' call is not designed to condemn, but to redeem. Remember, he came not to condemn the world, but to what? Redeem the world. You go, wow, those Pharisees needed, they needed a dose of their own. They may have, but that wasn't Jesus' call. See, for Jesus to say nothing to them would have been the most unloving thing he could have done. The most loving thing he could do was to call them to repentance and a new life. He speaks the truth, not to condemn, but to make fellowship possible. So what do we do with this? Three quick thoughts and we'll be done. Number one, we've got to embrace our greatest need. What is our greatest need? We just got through with Christmas. For some of you, you're thinking, oh, the credit card statement's coming. I know my greatest need. You with me? And that may be a great need, but it's not your greatest need. You may say, well, I need a new car. I need to go down and, and wrestle with those folks and find me a new car. That may be a great need in your life. I don't know. But that's not your greatest need. You may say, well, I need new clothes that fit better because I had all that food at Christmas and Thanksgiving and now I don't fit anymore. Yeah, that may be a great need, but it's not our greatest need. We have to come to the place where we recognize, accept, and embrace that we are people in great need. For 
Until we arrive at the place where we acknowledge our need, we will never see a change in our lives. Think about the alcoholic. Until he confesses his dependence on alcohol, he will never be set free from the bondage of alcohol. Think about the the thief who finally confesses their propensity to steal. They won't be delivered from bondage until they confess. And until a sinner confesses our sinfulness, we won't be set free from the shackles of sin. We have to embrace our great need. What is our great need? Listen to what the psalmist said. A couple of different verses I want to include here. He said this, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Don't delay, my God. How about this one? But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God, for you are my what? Help and my deliverer. O Lord, don't delay. How about this one? Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. How about one more? For I am poor and needy and my heart is stricken within me. Until we come to the place we recognize who we are, what we are, and what we need, we will never get past what we are, which is a sinner in need of forgiveness. The Pharisees needed forgiveness. Levi needed forgiveness. Get this, folks. We need Forgiveness. And there's a difference between getting caught and having remorse. Not remorse because we got caught. Remember when you were a kid, you, you, you took something in the kitchen? For me, it was cookies. I know that shocks none of you. But anyway, my mother was a baker, and she would always have something in there. She finally quit making it because her son was getting pretty round. And, 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 but I would go in there and sneak, you know, a handful of cookies. I, I, I was never a one-and-done kind of guy, Okay. And mom would catch me, and I would feel bad not for getting the cookie, but for what? Getting caught. i got to get better next time to get in there quieter and quicker and faster so she doesn't see me. Had nothing to do with remorse. And as long as we are living with remorse for getting caught, we don't find forgiveness. But when we finally recognize, man, I'm a cookie-holic. Lord, set me free. You with me? He can change us in that moment. We have to come to the place of brokenness or we stay trapped in sin and our trespasses. We need to embrace our great need. Second, a second thing I think we find within the calling of Levi and Matthew, and I'm calling them both because that's really kind of their name, his name, is that we actually have to accept the call. You're going, what do you mean? As a student of church history, I'm not going there this morning, but I want to tell you this. As a student of church history, one of the things I have studied over the last 40 years, I've been out of high school 40 years this year, where did that happen? You know, you know with me? Just gone. But over the last 30-something years in my education, I've studied a lot about American evangelical Christianity, which we are, and how we do church and how we respond to the gospel and walking an aisle and all that kind of stuff, which there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it becomes we're joining the church instead of surrendering our heart to Jesus. And I got to tell you, there's a big difference between those two. Joining the church is like joining the country club. You know, you show up, you're part of it, and you're there. So what? 
Following Jesus changes your life. That's what Levi Matthew did that day. He followed Jesus. He turned his heart to Jesus. He turned it over completely. He, he, if he had not done that, he would remain dead in his trespasses and sin. He would waddle the rest of his life apart from God in sin. Thankfully, he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to follow you. It's amazing. I, I look at some of these stories in the Bible and, I, and, and in general in life, and I see these people who, who are very successful. You're thinking, Levi, Levi was successful. He was a good tax collector. He was a good thief, okay? He had lots of coin in his pocket. I think of the fishermen on the seashore. They were probably successful men who were inheriting daddy's businesses. And yet they walk, all of those walked away from that because of the call to follow Jesus and to accept his gracious gift. It might be tempting to look at what they did as foolish. I can't believe those guys left their business. That's crazy. Business is way more important than Jesus. Let that thought sink in before you say that again, okay? But we, we, we live that way sometimes. No, it's, it's dangerous and coherent what they some, seem, seem to do. But following Jesus is a way of life. And we get life. An eternal life. Sometimes we'd see it as, well, I walked the aisle, I got saved, I'm done. I don't think Levi Matthew saw it that way. I don't think Peter, James, John, they didn't see it that way. I don't think we should see it that way. We should see it as what it is. It's a moment where we surrender our lives, receive his gift, and we're now on a new pathway, a new road that transforms us day by day by day. Those of you who have suffered for 10 years with me as your pastor, I'm not the same guy I was 10 years ago. I pray the Lord's done some work in my life in 10 years. I pray he's done work in your life these last 10 years. That you're not the same person in the Lord that you were then as we've walked together in fellowship. See, answering the call to follow Jesus is supposed to be an utterly life-changing event. Listen to what John uh, records in John chapter 1. He says, but to all who he who did receive Jesus, who believed in Jesus' name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, when we choose to follow Jesus, we become a God follower. Which means we go, God, what's your plan? What's your direction? What's your thought? What's your purpose? What's your want for me? I'm not here to tell you that's an easy transition. I'm still struggling with that one. But it's what he calls us to do. To where every day we are transformed a little more like him, day by day by day. And the way I relate to God changes, but so does the way I relate to you and and others. Because our fellowship begins to come together. I become a new person. One more thought, and I'll be done. Because then we discover... The Jesus-filled fellowship. And I'm not talking about us together, though that is part of it. It's more than that. Levi Matthew should have known better than to live the way he did. Why? He was of the Levitical priesthood. He, he, he would have been able to have access to the Scriptures on a regular basis, which most people didn't have. He would have known what the Old Testament law said, what the Scripture said, what Jesus, what God said through there. And I think he probably knew better, but he saw the opportunity to go make some coin, and he took off. And there he was in a toll booth north of the Sea of Galilee, working his border. I don't think he was a boss. I think he was just a worker there. 
And Jesus shows up and says, you know what? You really need to get your life straightened out. You need to get back into the temple. You need to get back into temple studies. You need to get back into doing the right thing. You just need to start doing right. You'll be good. That's not what he did, was it? Jesus said, follow me. He looked Levi in the eye, didn't tell him he was a mess, didn't tell him how dishonest he was or that he ought to clean his life. He said, follow me. Let me phrase it another way. He said, walk in fellowship with me. Walk my way. And his decision, Levi, Matthew's decision, began a work in his life that transformed him from a guy who was willing to steal from his fellow citizens to a man who followed Jesus with his whole heart to the point it cost him his life at the end of being faithful. Disciple John wrote about these words late in his life to a people who were struggling with Pharisees in their church. They weren't called Pharisees, but they were living like Pharisees. And he said this, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... This is our memory verse for this series, by the way. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship, not not just with God, but get this, with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. He works out in us. You see, as we walk in fellowship with Jesus, we find ourselves living in fellowship with other Christ followers. It's kind of cool how it happens. As I get in tune with God, and then you're in tune with God, and now we're all in tune with God, and we can walk together. We may not agree on everything. We may not agree on politics. We may not agree on, 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 on how to spend money. We may not agree on how we ought to be structured as a church. We may not agree with this or that and the other thing. But we walk together because you're a follower and I'm a follower. And we're supposedly, and we're following the same person. So let me ask you this. Have you ever heard the voice of Jesus? Not to join the church. Not to clean your life up. But to follow him. And then when you heard it, what did you do with it? Oh, that's a good good thought. No, it's more than that. It's something that changes us when we accept it in our hearts taking us in a new direction. Do you know it? I can't think of a better question to ask you on the first Sunday of a new year. Do you know the Lord? Are you walking with Him? Well, I know about Him. No, I didn't ask you you know about Him. I said, do you know Him? Are you in fellowship with Him? If you are, then you will be in fellowship with others who are following Him. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. So let's pray and we'll do that. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house, to spend time in your word, to look at this little story of Levi Matthew and the challenge that was given to him. It really wasn't a challenge. It was a loving offer to have a new life. And Father, it's the same offer you give to us. Father, we don't want to live our lives going, well, I joined the church. We want to live our lives saying, I'm following Jesus. Because that's where the life heart change happens, where we become the new creation that you want us to be, that we find ourselves in fellowship with one another.
Father, we pray you're blessed on these next few moments. Those who need to respond publicly, they would. Those who need to respond privately, they would. And that, Father, we would not just hear your voice, but follow you. In Jesus' name.